Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. Good morning, everyone. This You are listening to Spiritual Intelligence on Lions Radio Network and Blog Talk Radio. We have an excellent show today. Uh, it is so pertaining to what is going on right now. Uh, at this moment, um, I'm going to date our I'm going to be dating our, 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 our program. We have a co-host. Our co-host today is Donna Lyons, and Donna Lyons is also the um, head and the CEO of the Lions Radio Network. Hello, Donna. How are you today? Hello, Ema. Thank you for having me. This is, and like you said, this is a very important show with everything going on right now and people losing jobs and things of that nature. So I'm so glad we have the guests that we have today. Thanks for inviting Ab- me to be your co-host today. Absolutely. And our co-host today um, is Gail Smith, and she's an attorney. But before we get to that, I just want to say that this show is particularly for, for everyone out there. That means everyone from homeowners to business owners who have brick and mortar to people who are having loans, mortgages. It's all around. Everyone this show is for you, not just for one particular. So I'm going to just give this, it's not just for one audience. It's for everyone out there to get informed. But before we bring um, Gail on, uh, I'm going to just give a little background on Gail. Gail Smith is a sole law practitioner admitted in California, specializes in real property, loan servicing, and title issues. Employed by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation during the banking crisis in the early 90s, and also again during the 2009 crisis, she supervised an in-house litigation department and later was assigned to several bank receiverships in California, Nevada, and Idaho. Managing the assets and litigation of the failed banks, she spent eight years working in the mortgage default servicing industry where she headed a subprime servicing unit handling handling issues pre-funding through post REO sale, established an internal, excuse me, internal title claim tracking system, managed outside litigation, and developed settlement strategies and workouts. While at Fidelity Title Insurance, she investigated, analyzed, and resolved complex title, escrow issues, drafted underwriting decisions, managed outside counsel, and negotiating settlements. Early in her career, she represented a developer of multifamily low-income housing projects in the western U.S. where she drafted multi-state construction loans, documents, legal option, excuse me, legal opinions, and reviewed engineered opinion. Excuse me, I'm just catching my breath here. Um, Um, and uh, survey documents and attended pre-construction conference and loan closings. Currently, she serves as a trustee for the Amador County Law Library. She is qualified as a mediator for the third appellate district in Sacramento. 
California and has mediated several cases involving loan and or foreclosures. Her published articles include Keep Your Home California, part of the President Obama's Hardest Hit Fund, and Independent Foreclosures Review, OCC, and Transfer on Death Deed. So, my goodness, talk about a background and one into this. Gail Smith, welcome to our show. Well, thank you very much, Ema. Thank you for having me. I really do think that this is an important topic, and you make me sound far more important than I really am. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I do want to give everyone a caveat. Even though I'm an attorney, please don't consider anything I say today as a legal opinion that you can rely on, because it's very important. Every jurisdiction is different. Um, uh, every state is different. I am only licensed to practice in the state of California, not any other state. But I do know a lot about mortgages and servicing and foreclosures, and so I'm hoping I can shed a little bit of light on this because everybody seems to be quite um, frazzled these days because of the coronavirus, and nobody really knows what's going on. Um, there is one um, site that I'd like to give to you for people who are interested in looking at all the different states. It's the National Low Income Housing Coalition site. And the reference for that is, I'm going to spell it out for you and then and then give you the letters. N is in Nancy, L is in Licorice, I is in Indiana, H as in Health, and C is in Corporation.org. N-L-I-H-C.org. And there's a section on that website that will allow you to link to the to all of the 50 states, so that you can look at what your state's um, rules and regulations are with regard to evictions and also foreclosures, but mostly evictions, because I think that's the more immediate thing. Um, thank, I thank you, Gail. Yeah, go. Thank you, because because yes. I want to I want to segue on this right now because this is very important. I just I was just speaking with you just in a few minutes ago about how right now everyone's starting to get their 30 day notices, and this is across right. the country. This isn't just in California, uh, and I know you'll be addressing mostly California, but I just want to first of all I want you to please explain to us what is this rental monitorium that they say because I think there's a lot of confusion as to what that means. Could you please explain that? Sure. Okay. Let me just deal with California, the state, and some of the cities. Governor Newsom announced a two-month delay on residential evictions for those who can't pay their rent as a result of the virus. But the order still allows the renters to be removed from their apartments come June. So say you miss your April payment. It doesn't prevent the landlord from filing a, an unlawful detainer, which is the same thing as an eviction. It's what they call it in the legal field here. And um, you can go in and argue with the judge and show the judge that you fall within the ambit of this moratorium. But come June 1st, you can be evicted. So this more, and, and even if you have this moratorium, you're still liable to pay the rent. Okay, so, now see. Okay, now yeah. let's now, now let's now let's get this straight. Okay, I would say the right. majority of Californians are either paying half of the rent, or and I say across the state is across the country as well. Either half the rent, or they're not paying it at all. I think the misunderstanding here 
is that people think mm-hmm. that there that there is a grace on this month of rent and i have to be very clear and say no audience no you will right. still That's- if you decide to stay in may okay and if you still can't mm-hmm. pay you okay you're you're going to get a 30 day notice starting this month if you cannot pay you will get a 30 day notice unless you have the the virus am i correct gail unless you have the virus yeah well you 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 can they can give you a 30 day notice there's no moratorium right. on giving the notice the moratorium right. is uh, and there is no moratorium on filing for an unlawful detainer. The moratorium prevents them from evicting you for two months, and you're still liable to pay that rent two months even after you're evicted. Right, the same right. way you would be if you right. were under an eviction. Right. Right. And okay. So, so now, it's it's not, say if it's, no one's paying, say if no one's paying. I'm sorry, I have to be very specific on this. If no one is paying, say, this month, okay, let's just say right. people say, okay, I can't pay this month, but let's say in May I can start to pay, okay? If right. you're going to stay, you still have to pay for the month of April. They will attach it to your rent as a yes, payment. Am I correct? You're absolutely correct. It's not. This isn't a giveaway program. This isn't something where Thank your you. debt's going to be forgiven. It's, it's, and it's really important for people to realize this because there is confusion out there. Some people think, oh, great, I don't have to pay my rent for two months. Not so. I mean, you don't have to pay your rent for two months, but that doesn't mean you won't get evicted at the end of that period of time. Mm-hmm. Some of the – and Newsom's announcement also allowed um, various jurisdictions, other cities, to make their own rules. So um, – uh, like the Los Angeles City Council voted to prevent landlords from evicting tenants because of the virus, but it fell short of enacting a complete ban on eviction, evictions. So the evictions aren't completely banned. It's saying, you know, it's in. Mm-hmm. We're agreeing with the moratorium. Also, um, oh, that's homeowner stuff. Okay, nuisance. Order does require renters to jump through a number of hoops to qualify for the two-month delay also. This is important. Tenants must notify their landlord in writing within seven days of non-payment, and a landlord can still file a case against the tenant. So even if a renter is able to convince a judge where they have to go to court if the unlawful detainer is filed, that they're covered under the governor's order. The landlord could order them out of the property on June 1st for failing to pay rent in April. So that's, you're absolutely right on that. And I, I just want any of the renters out there to know that. Um, I don't know if people realize it, but in Harvard Joint Center did a study in 2018, and close to half of the renters spent more than a third of their income on rent and a quarter of renters spent half of their income on rent. So you can imagine what will happen with those people not working, and many of the people who are not working aren't able to um, collect unemployment. Um, uh, small business owners, they don't have that kind of backup that an individual employee would have. So I think we're looking for some rough times ahead. And Also, I just want to add that the California Apartment Association, which is the state's largest landlord group, has asked, uh, that's just asked, quote, 
its members to stop rent increases and evictions, waive late fees, and work out payment plans for the affected tenants. So a lot of this is going to take cooperation between the landlord and the tenant. There's no free giveaway here. You all still have the responsibility of paying that. It's just to give you a reprieve because we all know what's going to happen when daddy and mommy can't bring home that paycheck and they're already paying, you know, a third of that income toward rent. It won't be very long and we're going to see a lot of defaults. So it's important that everybody understands what their liability is out there. So you could actually, if it's say, if it's a, and I'm not talking about an apartment being an apartment building or a house being from a corporation, but you could actually work something out to say if it was a private ownership, you could work out a payment plan with that with that landlord. Well, that's absolutely right, and 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 renters need to realize that um, the landlord, their landlord, more than likely has a mortgage on the property in which that they're renting. So their failure to pay their rent means that landlord must come up with the rent from somewhere. So say Mm -hmm. a landlord has 10 tenants who have lost their income. That's a big big nut to cover for that landlord because the landlord also has to pay its mortgage if in fact it has one. And many many of the rental housing is mortgaged just like everybody's house is. So I know, I, I know, Donna, please jump in. Is there anything before we start to walk into mortgages? Because that's, it's, it's the perfect segue about mortgage. So Donna, do you have any questions? No, no, I'm just listening. I think uh, what she's saying is perfect. And um, now I would, I would, I would like to know more about the mortgages. And then also I do well, want to let you know that we do have a caller on. So at some point let's bring her in. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Before, go ahead, before we go, go there. ahead with the mortgages. Yes. I, I really I, want to hear this. Okay. Um, no, this is about mortgage forbearance. It says the Federal Housing Finance Agency is announcing that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they're the government-sponsored enterprises that um, ensure many of the loans that are made, and they're going to offer multifamily property owners mortgage forbearance with the condition that they suspend all evictions for renters unable to pay rent due to the impact of the coronavirus. The eviction suspensions are in place for the entire duration of the time that a property owner remains in forbearance. So just so everybody understands what forbearance, it's an agreement between a lender and a borrower that says we agree under certain circumstances to forbear from foreclosing. And so So what they're saying is any of the Fannie and Freddie insured loans that give their um, that lender a forbearance, they can't evict the tenants while they're in that forbearance agreement. So that's a big plus for anybody who has for anyone whose landlord has one of these insured federal loans. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just want to, and yeah, because, um, and this is for multifamily things. So we're talking about the apartments. It says um, the multifamily mortgage forbearance suspension are the latest actions that the Federal Housing Finance Authority has announced. So they're suspending foreclosures and evictions for enterprise, that's Fannie and Freddie, backed single family mortgages 60 days. 
forbearance for Fannie and Freddie back single family borrowers facing hardship due to coronavirus, flexibility for appraisal and employment verification for single family homes. We can talk about that with the mortgages. And so so the federal government is involved in it, the state governments are involved in it, county governments, city governments, big cities like Los Angeles and San Francisco have also um, announced moratoriums on the foreclosures. But everybody needs to beware. It doesn't mean that you don't have to pay it. Okay? Okay, okay, okay. Now let's start to talk about mortgages for homes. Okay. Now, I think everybody really needs to understand a little bit about mortgages. Um, A lot of this stuff depends. Well, first of all, you have to know who owns your loan and where you pay your loan, make your loan payments. So wherever you make your loan payment, it's the entity that services that loan. When you service the loan for a lender, the lender can do it himself or the lender can hire a servicing entity. The servicer is the one who collects all the payments from the borrower and makes the payments to the lender. They make sure that your insurance is paid. They make sure that your taxes are paid. And they're the ones to whom you write your check every month. So it's really important if you're worried about your mortgage to get in touch with that um, with that entity and talk to them about it because they're the ones who will understand. Because um, there's a servicing agreement between the lender and the servicers that say these are the parameters and this is what you can forgive and what you can't forgive. Um, and, and remember, a forbearance in a mortgage is just simply a kind of like a pause in time and it could be anywhere from 90 days to 180 days where you have an agreement in place with your servicer to not make your schedule the payment and the payments that were missed are still they still have to be paid just like your rental payments they're due in full at the end of the agreed upon period or they can work out a payment plan over a period of time or sometimes even tack it onto the back end of the mortgage but this can be a dangerous thing if you're just because most of them are going to want a um, if they're going to forestall it for 90 or 80 days they're going to want a lump sum payment at the end and if you're paying $2,500 a month and you stall it for 90 days that's three months so at the end of that period you're going to owe them $2,500 times three which is $8,500 Uh $7,500. Okay. Who's got $7,500 to pay something like Uh that. Uh And so that's really dangerous at the end of that period. Um, like it's, uh, yeah. So I just want to caution people that to try and work with whoever that they're working with, whether it's your landlord, if this is a rental issue or whether it's your servicer or the banking entity that owns your loan, Um, The servicer is kind of the entity that you have to deal with directly. You can't deal directly with the lender unless they're servicing their own loan. So you can get the, but um, I really, you know, all I can say is there's no free money, even with the forbearance plans. So it's really important that um, if you contact your servicer for any kind of relief, please be careful with what they're offering. Look at it very carefully. If you need to ask somebody, um, you can ask an attorney who deals with these sorts of issues in your particular state. Um, and anyway, where we were going next. Okay, okay we have, we have a couple about- of calls. 
we have a couple of calls. I think okay. maybe sure. we have some questions. So okay. let's do. Okay. Um, we have Susie, and go ahead. Hold on, and go ahead, Susie. Give me a second. Hold on. Okay, Susie, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening, and I I uh, I don't actually have any questions right off the bat. And you were spot on with these folks need to make sure really clearly if they're going to work with the mortgage company, whether the mortgage company is going to expect a balloon payment in a few months, or if the if the monies are going to be able to be tagged on the end of the loan. Uh, that's critical, and I think that uh, education is key on this. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Susie. Go ahead. Go ahead, Gail. Do you have anything to add to that? Well, no, I absolutely agree with Susie. And um, there are other issues, there are other things besides your mortgage payments that you can get some leniency with um, on your, um, any of the servicing costs that are attached to servicing that mortgage can be um, delayed um, if there's late payments or any of those things, they can sometimes forgive some of those. But you still will be responsible for it, and it's really important that you deal directly with the servicer and make sure when you talk to the servicer, ask them what kind of hoops you have to jump through to get, um, to get any kind of relief under this program. Nothing is very clear. Everything changes on a day-to-day basis. Every servicer is going to act differently. Um, every lender acts differently. So you really have everything is particular to your unique situation. So make sure when you collect, you contact your servicer that you get clear direction from them. I mean, if you're going to be a, have a forbearance, most lenders will require you to fill out paperwork to show that there's a reason why you need the forbearance. They may even ask, in, like in the old days, they would ask you for your financial statements or your you know, income and outflow statements so that they would know that this is something that you really did need. Because they're not going to just give this to you. They're going to want to make sure that this is something that you really need. All right. Thank you. And we're going to go to, and thank you, Susie. And now we're going to go to our next caller. One second, please. And I'm just waiting for this to clear up. Okay, Meg, you're on the line. You're Any questions oh, for I thought, uh, Gail? I was going to. I was going to say my name was George. Um, Gail, <laughs> yes, I do, have, I do have a question. You, sure. <laughs> you have extensive background in real estate, and I know what we're going through at this point is unprecedented. And this is more of a what-do-you-think question than a what-is-happening question. Based on what the government has done so far with mortgages and real estate, based on stimulus 2, 3, 4, you know, 5, 6, 7, whatever, do you think or have you heard any rumblings in the industry of them possibly forgiving, maybe not forgiving, but saying, okay, who's, who can come up with a lump sum of $7,500 if you've been unemployed, of, of right. having some type of stimulus for these homeowners or some type of payment plan where they don't have to come up for a lump sum? I mean, I don't know. It just seems like it, it doesn't do much good to say, okay, we're not going to, you don't have to pay your mortgage for three months, but at the end of three months, you're going to owe us three months worth of mortgage. When people have been unemployed mm-hmm. for 60 days or 90 days or however long it's going to take, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think everybody is in a, 
state of confusion right now, a state of flux. We just don't know. I don't know how the stimulus package is going to be used for an individual homeowner. That $1,000 that they're going to give to, to people, isn't, as we all know, isn't going to go very far. And it's still no, not going to ward off food. the, I know, the evictions or the foreclosures. And I, I, you know, we have to understand there's something called liquidity. And liquidity means your ability to whatever ready cash you have. So banks have to maintain a certain liquidity. Any lender has to maintain a certain liquidity. Um, it's just like you can't pay your bills if you don't have any money to pay them with. So the bank's liquidity are the deposits that are in the bank. Okay. At some point, the bank is, has items that have no liquidity. It holds a mortgage. A mortgage is not liquid because it's money that's, right. it's money that's coming in. But the deposits that are in the bank are really important. So um, the Federal Deposit Insurance Company has, is already discussing now something where they're raising the limits on deposit accounts. Deposit accounts used to be $100,000, and then during the banking crisis, they raised it to $250,000. There are many, many small businesses that have far more in their deposit account than $250,000. So the, the problem is, is if, if a bank goes under, and I'm not, I think the banks are still in a really strong position. I don't expect a bank to go under, but it's something that we need to think about is if a bank will go under and you, I mean, I remember working on these and um, writing legal opinions about the money that was on deposit when it was only $100,000 and then they raised it $250,000. But there are many small businesses out there or construction loans, or people who who run through, who have accounting firms and things like that, where the money runs through that they have far more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars on deposit, and I'm sure that if this thing gets worse, we're going to be really concerned about that. But at this point, in all of the research I've done, I don't see how the economic stimulus is moving out of the two trillion dollar rescue package into these individual payments. It's not saying anybody, we're not forgiving the debt, you know, it's, I think a lot of it is to help businesses, and the $1,000, as we all know, isn't really going to go very far. There are a lot of people that aren't going to qualify for it, and if you're making rental payments, if you live in the city of San Francisco, I can tell you there isn't probably any place you can rent for $1,000 a month. I mean, it's uh, cities like New York and San Francisco, it's the cost is astronomical for rental. So I'm not, I don't see how that is trickling down to help the individual homeowners. The only thing it can do is say to the banks, don't go ahead and foreclose and make some sort of arrangements. I mean, during the mortgage crisis, you could move those payments to the back end of your loan. But then that right. creates another problem. Do you modify the loan? And if you modify the loan, don't you have to record the modification, which we did in back in the olden days, which worked very long ago. Um, I left the FDIC in 2011, and it was at then everything had slowed down, the banks. But I still feel the banks are in good, but I don't see that stimulus package. I'm not able to okay, track great. it from that. 
You know. Okay, great. Okay, well, well, so what we're going to do here is we're going to we're going to we've got some calls backed up. Thank you so much, Meg. I'm just going to put well, you thank on you, mute. Meg. And so now we're going to go into there is there here we have uh uh it's Deb and we're going to have Deb. Yes, Deb, go ahead. Ask yes your question. No, I didn't have a question. I just called in to to listen okay okay great (laughs) all right so so we're gonna we're gonna go back to Susie. Susie has a question Susie, go Susie, give me a second go ahead yeah i'm i'm small business loan stuff that that's coming up do you know about that and the ten thousand dollar girl I do, I do not. I can't address that with any assurance. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So so right now, so let's look at this chain of command, so to speak. So let's just take it, say, from a renter. A renter doesn't pay. Uh, it's going to, of course, it's going to affect the owner or the corporation who owns the property, Right. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. also so it also so it's, it, it it bites into their mortgage. So they are on a they're also going to be stressed out because if they don't get payments from anyone for about two months, if they don't make an arrangement with the tenant to pay in payments, or so they could actually evict a lot of people and they could have a lot of empty rentals. Am I correct? Yes, you're correct. Okay, which um, means that puts that, stress on them. Which means that they. It's, so I'm trying to find that there is a chain from renter to the owner, which will have mortgages, which they are going to probably want to get loans. Am I correct? Well, what do you mean they are probably going to want to get loans? Who's going to want to get a loan? So. Well, it, uh, aren't 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 people going to want to get loans? Aren't like the owners of the buildings that want to get loans because they've lost money? Aren't they going to want to get loans too? Um, well, they are. Oh, you mean if they already have a loan on the property? I mean, they yes, could probably refinance. Yes, but they could probably refinance it. But um, a lot of times, your refinance, your ability to refinance it depends upon whether you've been, whether you've kept anything current. It's the same way with your mortgage. If you're delinquent, I mean, one of the things that they had hoped to do was say your failure to pay your mortgage for those three months or for that rent for the two months or whatever period of time is forgiven will not be reported to the credit agencies. So it's not going to be a ding on your credit. Um, So it shouldn't affect the owner of the property to refinance uh, to you know, to make sure that he's current with his loan, he or she is current with the loan, or the entity is current with the loan. But those are not supposed to be reported to the credit agencies, and hopefully they won't be, because one of the things they wanted to do was protect people's ability to repay. And um, you know, it was very difficult in the past to get um, better mortgage rates if you had dings on your credit. So in other words, if you're going to if you're going to borrow a loan to buy a home, you want to make sure that you've got a good credit rating and you don't show a lot of failures to pay or late late payments or anything like that because it can increase your um, 
the mortgage rate. And that's another thing, too. The, the, they reduced the mortgage rate to just a little over 0%. And everybody is thinking, oh, my gosh, I can get a loan on my house for 0%. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> the loan rate now is somewhere between 3 and 4%. I don't know exactly what it is. I should have looked that up before today. But um, so it's still a fairly low interest rate for a home. And it's, but we're not seeing any home sales. I'm seeing a lot of the information I found is people are taking their homes off the market. Their buyers aren't out there. Nobody knows what's going to happen. The, the, um, the real estate agents aren't having open houses anymore, you know, because of the virus. So there's not a lot of, a lot of interaction. It's, it's really difficult to tell where this is going. I hope that it doesn't last very long. Um, I'm not as optimistic as some people are, uh, but um, but so, I've seen so, this happen so, so do before. You see, do you see in the next two or three months a lot of people going? Because you can, here in California, I don't know where else, in, and I'm going to go back to rentals because there's so many who are renting and also and people who are renting homes, not just apartments, but homes, and people who are renting spaces of business. More, you know, brick and mortar mm-hmm. and people who are also, you know, maybe they already mortgaged their house and they don't know where they're going to go from there. So would you say that in the next two or three months, I'd say starting in June, you're going to see the courts filled with unlawful detainers to, to stop unlawful detainers. Is that what's going to happen? Because the courts will be full. Well, uh, yeah, I actually think that we're going to see a lot um if, in fact, the courts are saying we'll recognize it for two months, there's nothing now that prevents them from filing an unlawful detainer if they failed to make their April 1st payment. The landlord can still do that. So you've got to go to the judge and say, hey, I have my two-month two moratorium because of the virus and losing my job. The judge is okay. But what happens at the end of that two-month period? On June 1st, they can evict you. There's nothing yet that we have in writing that says that they can't do that. Right. And the, long, the longer you let a non-paying renter stay there, the more difficult it is for the owner of the property to maintain what outgoing, um, what uh, financial outgo it is. It, yeah, right. It, you know, it's an income stream to them that they use to pay their bills. And so so, they, so let's say, for instance, Gail, okay, like right now, I just got like someone text me who was in a panic that their entire building just got 30-day notice. That means that in 30 days, they all have to file unlawful detainers in order to get another 30 days. If they're, Let's just say because they don't have no. money. No. Am I correct? File the unlawful, you just file the unlawful detainer once. The landlord files the unlawful detainer with the court in the jurisdiction where the property is located. So I know, but you have to I answer live, it, though. As a tenant, you oh, have yes. to answer that. Absolutely. Yeah, you have to answer that. You have to file an answer to that um, to that unlawful detainer, and that's the only way you can preserve your rights. I mean, um, the the you get you'll get an extra sixty days if they don't file the unlawful detainer now. I mean, because then they have to file it on June first. Mm-hmm. So, so people, that's why they're so that's the why they're, they're they're filing it now. Yeah, of course. If I were, if I had an apartment building, and as mean as it may seem, because you don't know what the financial restraints are on the the property owner, 
they would file that that unlawful detainer now, but may not be able to force the person out until after that um, 60 days is run. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't file an answer, it's going it, they're not going to give it for 60 days. But if you file the answer, you know, saying I can't be evicted, okay, so they can't kick you out for the 60 days, but at the end of 60 days, you still owe that rent. And that yes, I know. Will be able, I mean, yeah, they'll be able to kick them out, and they'll have a judgment for the, that amount of the rent that you owe them. Absolutely, and, course, and this is and this is what I want to make everybody clear. This is not because I keep trying to tell people this is not a giveaway. This is not a giveaway. Not. This is yeah. actually you will have this on your record if you leave and you don't some sort of an arrangement with your. It, with your landlord so it is like communication 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 you know have uh either you know have some sort of dialogue with your landlord if you can't i would say if you can't do it and then obviously you have to move but i mean i'm just saying just just i want everybody to just really get that because i keep getting everybody thinking everybody's thinking right now that they're getting a freebie and i just i know i'm i'm nope. really hammering this but this is it's got to be somebody's got to tell everybody that that's can i chime in um ladies i just wanted to chime in real quick because meg asked that she be unmuted because i think she wanted to talk about something that you guys are discussing right now sure okay go ahead meg hold on okay that's true this this is the this is the thing you have to remember and i'm not saying anything's free because it's not free but a lot of courts are shut down so, Ema, you're right. Like, they might be able to go in June 1st. I know in Illinois, those courts are cut, shut down to the, begin, to the middle of May, and they're going to only take emergency hearings for the next 30 to 60 days. So I don't know that the, – I don't know the law in California. I don't know if the courts are shut down for emergency only, and I don't know how it's progressing. I just know in Illinois that even if they get an eviction notice – they probably will still have time after that. They still will have to make arrangements with their landlord and or mortgage company. But I'm just saying I don't think people need to panic that as of June 1st they're going to have to, boom, pack up their stuff and go because there's a backload of of cases, a backload of them. And I know in Illinois the courts tender to favor the lessee, not the lessor. I don't know about mm-hmm. California. It's a, well, it's the, the California, it, it's a little bit different. And I would say everybody out there, answer those unlawful detainers. Even if you don't go to court until July, you are have filed. And it's legal. And as long as you file, you're legally right. okay. Am I right, no. Gail? Otherwise, yeah, otherwise, it, well, it could be a default judgment after the end of that period. So a default judgment means you haven't filed an answer, and they'll get whatever they ask for. So, um, so, it, so, so, so would you suggest that the, everybody who gets an uh, who gets an eviction notice says yesterday or today for them to answer them for it to be right? Well, and here and here's the difficult problem with filing an answer. Um, there are forms online that you can go and look up for filing an answer. The problem is, is right now, everything is is sort of closed. I don't know how, I don't know if we have some Dropbox filing for our local court, but more than likely you do. Now, most of the courts, or many of the courts, allow you to file online. 
so that you can use your computer to file your pleadings or your answers or things like that. Um, most of the courts here, or at least the ones close to me that I've dealt with, are holding off on uh, in their hearing all of those, only those things that they're required to hear. And they're, unfortunately, but this has nothing to do with, but they're waiving a lot of rights that people who have been convicted of crimes or, or um, I'm sorry, who've been charged with the crimes, they have a right to a speedy trial. And we are having a difficult time getting rights for those people. Um, I think the best bet is that, because you, there's always help for you. If you really want to go to your, like your local courthouse, there are people who help you file your unlawful detainer on your own, pro per, where you don't need an attorney. So the, um, but the problem is, is the courthouses are now, now closed. Um, if, you know, like if anybody wants to send me an email or something, I can give you more uh, definitive information about where you can go to get it for those people that are located in California. But always file an answer when you've been sued. Um, I can't think of a situation, maybe Deb can because, um, but I can't think of a situation where you wouldn't want to file an answer because it preserves your right and it cuts off the ability for the plaintiff to get everything it asks for. And sometimes they ask for things that they're not entitled to get. But All right, yes, thank you. And, and we do have Deb here uh, that I will ask. Uh, I'm going to unmute Deb. So if Deb has any, um, uh, and you, uh, hi, Deb, do you want to add anything to uh, that? Well, in Orange County, the, the court, the Superior Court is closed. Um, and I so I don't know how you'd get an answer filed. Um, you just have to stay on top of it until they open it. And then, I mean, you're not going to get penalized for not getting an answer in in, in five days or seven days. Um, you can't get in there to file an answer. So, um, yeah. Let's say, let's and the same thing is true for recorder's offices. They're all closed. Unless right, you can record right. something online, like a title company can record something online, but I can't do that. So if I wanted to draft any kind of a deed for somebody, I can't get that recorded until, until this moratorium is lifted, and I don't know how long it'll be. I mean, right now they've closed the schools in this county. Um, we just I just got notification from the school this morning. They were supposed to close it through the end of April, but now it's closed for the rest of the school year. And yeah. Unless well, something changes. Yeah. So night, all California schools won't reopen until September. So, yeah, or, so or, maybe or, you're absolutely right. Yeah, maybe you're right. You can't file an answer. There's no place to do it. I don't, you know, I haven't been over to the courthouse to see, but um, it's probably closed. I know what Placer County is, but Placer County is doing, they're doing some telephonic uh, stuff where you can call in and unless the other party objects because a lot of people don't want to uh, you know they want to see your face when you're in court to see if they're lying or telling the truth so um, but those cases are few and far between they're waiving all the you know all of the traffic cases they're all being put back so so what would you say either one of you Deb and Gail what would you say for people let's just say homes right people who are being able to, who are uh getting evicted from their home not just apartments condos homes and let's just say they're given a 30 day notice and you can't file an answer 
So well, it, they, it, yeah. well, go ahead. Wait a minute. The thirty, the 30 day, thirty day notice is not a um, is not an action. Okay, the thirty day notice says if you don't pay this in thirty days, I will file an unlawful detainer. Okay. An okay. unlawful detainer is actually the legal action. That's the document you file with the court. So the fact that the court is closed now, um, they they couldn't possibly have gotten um, been served with an unlawful detainer. Okay, so they're just but, give, they're what, being what given a notice. Yes, they're just being given the notice at that point. There is no legal. If the courts are closed, there's no way to file an unlawful detainer. No so basically, they're just warning them. So they're figuring that in June, that in May, the courts will open back up so that they can go and do this. Right, right. The 30 days will have run, unless there's right. something in the 30-day notice that they can cure. Okay. Like and a pay- a payment of back rent, but normally a, a payment of money is a seven-day notice to pay rent or or you're going to be evicted. Gotcha. But normally, okay. a thirty-day a thirty-day notice is um, you've got thirty days to find someplace else to live, and the landlord typically has the right to give them that notice. Okay, okay, and then on those thirty days, that's when the landlord goes in and files for an unlawful detainer. You're given like you know three days or seven days to pay whatever, and then they have to run and go get a, an answer in to them. Right. The court. You don't have to file an answer until you're served. Yes, exactly. I mean, there's but nothing that's to what file I mean. an answer. Yeah, there's nothing to file an answer to if you haven't been if it hasn't been filed. Not only does it have to be filed, but you have to be served with the unlawful detainer. Got it. So, okay. and at that point, that's point when you file the answer. So Okay. Um so I know, I, I know, I know. I keep pounding now. in on this rental thing, but believe me, there's a lot of people out there who think. Uh, who are panicking over, and they just have to know the law. And, and this is really, I think, clearing up a lot of things. And that, first of all, that that if the courts are closed, those landlords did not file an unlawful detainer. They just gave you a notice. Right. right. Which means and that so you, you you have time, right? Am I correct, ladies? You have time to make arrangements with your landlords to create a payment plan or create right. something or if you need to move or whatever, that is up to you. But it's not until, say, the courts are open and in 30 days that they file an unlawful detainer. And then that's right. when you as a tenant uh, answers it. Am I, am I right so far, ladies? Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and, and the thing is that um, a lot of the, uh, a lot of, not a lot, some of the renters probably were in default even before the coronavirus hit. And there'll always be those people who, who would have been evicted regardless of whether there was a coronavirus, you know, the halt in the, right. Those. But your best bet is always to try and work, try and work with the loan servicer if it's a mortgage, try and work with the landlord if it's a, rental agreement i mean they don't want to lose money either they're already in a in a position and they've got to find somebody who's going to rent it when you leave and it doesn't look like if you can't if your renter can't keep it how are you going to find somebody else to rent it do do people just keep moving down or you know i mean it's 
it's like I said, it's everything is in a state of flux right now. Nobody knows what's happening. All we can do is project. But um, if this lasts very long, I I think we're running into a lot of trouble. You know, one thing I wanted to bring up, too, Ema keeps talking about renters, but there's a lot of homeowners that live month to month. And how is this going to affect them? These these are people that own homes with families. And how, uh, you know, Gail, how is this going to affect them? I mean, what, what do you foresee? I know we're not fortune tellers, but... What's your gut kind of pointing at you and Deb both being in this industry? I think, well, I don't. I, I, I don't think banks want to have a whole bunch of REO like they did ten years ago. Right. Well, I mean, right. they don't. They don't. They don't want to have to foreclose and then be sitting on all this real estate that nobody can afford. I mean, they're right. they're gonna they're gonna be more creative workouts, I think, than we saw ten years ago. I I agree. And, and what happens is when they take those foreclosures in, which is REO, real estate owned, it means their capital requirements go up. So basically for a bank, that means a bank, we talked about liquidity earlier, and that's the amount of money that the bank has to lend out to make more income. Okay. So as the, the liquidity requirements, or the capital requirements for the bank rise depending upon how much foreclosures they have, how much REO they have in in house. So the more REO they take in house, the less money they can lend out because the FDIC says you have to maintain certain liquidity liquidity requirements to be able to continue to operate. And I think Deb's right. So do you see banks being pretty do you see banks being pretty forgiving um, or helpful so they take foreclosure? They're gonna have to be for their own Right. If they're smart, they have to be. Yep. I mean, yeah. sometimes banks make sometimes banks make dumb decisions. I mean, seriously. And especially if you know if you've worked done any kind of workouts with banks or anything like that, where you're in a position, you know, it's they have to look at the bottom line. Is it going to benefit them to work out to work this out with the lender, or is it going to cause them more consternation down in the long run? And, yeah, they're going to have to be a little bit more lenient than they were before. They're not going to have to have – they just can't have the, the requirements for income level and things like that. They, they're going to have to do something yeah, yeah, because, because we yeah. – Not all of those folks are going to go right back to work May 1st or September 1st or whenever yeah. this mess right. is over. Right, yeah, and, some of them won't go back to work. I mean, some of these small businesses that are operating on a shoestring to begin with, they're not going to recover from this. Two months with right. no income. I mean, right? They said something I'd like six point six million people filed for uh, unemployment, unemployment. Um, as of yesterday. Right. And those yeah, are some of these the restaurants are, are not going to come back. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. So. And, and those so, are only the ones that can collect it. Well, it would be so, nice if this thing would settle quickly, but um, so it also, unless we come up I know with we're, we're not talking about this, but what about the people who are going to die? And I know because there will be people who are homeowners, who are renters, who are who are who are homeowners. What happens to those people? I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, they're mean, not. <laughs> I know that sounds funny, but <laughs> there will be well, a I, lot I of know, you mean, dead people. 
Well, what ha- well, what happens to their assets? Hopefully that they've made arrangements for it. Like, um, you know, there's some quick fixes like um, uh, the deed upon death thing that's easy, that's easy to use. The problem is, is how do you get the thing recorded? And, um, and it has to be recorded within six months of the time that it was executed, which is kind of, a, I think, a, it, it was kind of like our government in California said, here's an inexpensive way to do financial planning. And it works especially well if you have a single homeowner. Single homeowner gets uh, ill. They don't have any kind of arrangements. In order to avoid probate, they can execute one of these deed upon death deeds and leave it to whomever they want. Um, it's a revocable deed, so if they survive, they can revoke the deed and they still own the property. It doesn't go out of their ownership until they pass away. Um, it's, I think it's a really good thing. The only caution I would make about it is if you use a deed upon death and you deed it to more than one beneficiary, that if the beneficiary predeceases you, then the other beneficiary gets the full amount. And the problem with something like that is if you have a son and a daughter that you want to leave it to and they have children and you would like to have had the children of the one that served, the one that predeceased you have their share, they can't do that. So <coughs> transfer death upon deed is a really easy way if somebody is in dire straits and wants to take care of it and avoid probate because probate can be very expensive in California, especially if, you know, your major asset is your home. So uh, so would you say, uh, uh, ladies, uh, Deb and Gail, and just as a precaution, those would start, and this is across the country, this isn't just in California, for people to start thinking ahead because if if it yeah. if it continues, I mean, I'm just I'm just saying I it's I know it's not something that we all want to talk about, but you know I guess we could say that we could cross the street and get hit by a car as well, but right now right. The, the chances are a little bit more, or maybe not. But I'm just saying, isn't doesn't this bring us more awareness as to what we should be doing in regards to that, or at sure. least live some sort of the testament or you know, talk it over with yeah. your relatives or I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think it's important to know. Go ahead. It's the elephant in the room and a lot of yeah. people don't want to address that issue. I mean, it's just like, uh, I know this is not on subject, but what do you want to do if you become seriously ill? Do you want to do not resuscitate order? So it's important for families to talk about that or and, and the other thing that gets me on wills, I just have to mention this because it's one of my pet peeves. I've heard people oh, say, well, why did you leave that to so-and-so um, when it should have gone there? And I said, who did it belong to in the first place? The person who owns it is the one who gets to make the decision. You don't have to like it. You don't have to go along with it. But you don't get to tell somebody who they can leave their goods to or who they can leave whatever they own to. You just don't get to make that decision. And um, I've seen it in too many times, <laughs> especially I, I actually had some um, mediations in the appellate court in situations like that. You know, um, second wife comes along and the daughter is very upset because her mother lives in that house and she doesn't second wife want the second wife to have it, but dad wanted the second wife to have it. 
And the only thing I say to them, you don't get to make that call. You may not like it, but you don't get to make that call. But now, with all of the sickness around, is a good time for people to be talking about what happens if something, somebody does get sick. And especially if you're older or if you're in a, in a group like, like my husband has got COPD. People are in the high-risk group should really be thinking about it. And holographic wills are still valid. And what does that what? mean? Tell me, what is, what is a holographic will? A holographic will is, is completely in the person's handwriting. There can't be any typewritten, any printing. You just sit down with a piece of paper and say, this is my last one testament, and I leave my car to so-and-so, and I leave my house to so-and-so, and I, I leave my right. china to so-and-so, and then you just date it and sign it. Now, do you right. have, Completely do you have a witness or anything like that? No. No, no. Okay. And it okay. doesn't, and it's, um, the only problem is, is it doesn't avoid probate, <clears throat> but it's valid. It's perfectly valid and enforceable. Okay, great. But there are certain rules you have to file. It has to be in your, only in your handwriting. It has to be signed and dated and you can spend, you know, but, um, yeah, but the holographic for people who can't, for people that can't afford an attorney and are worried about, you know, they can't go and do a fancy estate plan and, you know, they can just sit down with a, right. you know, a yellow tablet and, and write down what they want to happen and tell somebody where it is or put it in a drawer where somebody will find it. And it's perfectly valid. Thank you for, yep. thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. Um, Donna, is there anything that you want to chime in with? Any, any questions, anything about homes? Any about no, no, that was it. I just wanted to know what they kind of saw coming in the future and if it was going to be as bad as we've seen before. So it sounds a little bit hopeful with everything going on. Um, and that's kind of good news for homeowners and renters. And um, hopefully it just doesn't get that ugly out there. And I, I hope everybody stays well. We're actually running out of time. So I didn't know if um, Gail wanted to say a few last words before we um, end the show. Um, no, I, yes, yes, yes. You know, yes. Thank you. Actually, you can you 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 can give that that um oh that website website okay. yeah, I'll that, that website, website again. Okay. Yeah, for people who don't live in California, this is the National Low Income Housing Coalition website. Um, they cater most to to low income housing, but it's a it has a valuable uh, it has a lot of information, and their website is. Uh, the first letter of National Low Income Housing Coalition, NLIHC.org. So you can go on that and you can find out a lot of information that's helpful. Um, uh, you know, and I'll put that in the link, everyone. Everyone who's listening, I will put that in the link just in a few minutes after we're done so that you can go back into the link and you will see it. You will see it under Gail's name. And Gail's contact is it okay because I have your phone number here? Is it okay if we give your your phone number, Gail? Which phone number is it? The two oh nine. The two oh nine. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, Gail Smith's phone number is two oh nine two six seven nine one nine four. Two oh nine two six seven nine one nine four. And this is also in the link, so take a look and it'll be there. Thank you, Donna. Thank you, uh, Gail Smith, so much. 
Thank you, Deb, who also came in and chimed in. And our people who, who came in was Meg and Susie, who, who also asked really great questions. I thank you for making this a really great show. We're going to, and thank you everyone out there for listening. Please keep coming back to us. We love to hear from you. And I'm just going to say goodbye. So goodbye, everybody. Thank you again for being on the show. Goodbye. <clears throat> Bye. Thanks. Mm-hmm.